All right. Good morning, everyone. And it's Monday and um, I'm using Rumble. So, of course, there's a problem. Bear with me. I'm going to try and figure out what is going on because Rumble people are not able to see the stream right now. So good morning to everybody on Telegram and DLive and on Foxhole. All places that are much easier to use than Rumble. Please, Rumble, fix your stuff. <laughs> to put it politely, because dadgum is Rumble. Rumble is the least easiest site to use. Uh, that's a terrible way for me to say that. Um, Rumble's a pain in the butt. There, that's a better way for me to say it. Okay, let me see. Let's see if Rumble starts working now. Foxhole and DLive and Telegram are super easy. You just hit go live and you're live, but not Rumble. No, Rumble has to be special. There we go. Let's see. Let's see if it's working now. Rumble people, give me a thumbs up in chat or something if y'all if y'all are good. Check check with them in chat. Hey, okay, five by five. All right, good morning, good morning. It is Monday, and uh, we're off to an appropriate Monday-like start here with Rumble. There we go. All right, we're live. So this is Just Human number 148, and I have a, uh, a smattering of news issues, a, uh, a, a random collection of things that I found interesting that I set aside for when I could do a live stream again and focus on something other than the Danchenko trial. And since I'm completely done with the Danchenko trial, I've got this, this small list of, uh, of things I've, I found notable over the past week or so. So we're going to go through those today. Um, I do want to, in case hit on something, in case anybody missed out on this or, um, this is your first time watching or you're just, you haven't been following. Um, admittedly, I've been all over the place. I've been on this channel. I've been on my own stuff, my own sites, but then I've also been over on Badlands Media, which is a new media group that I'm a part of, a contributor to, and it's like content creation focused. We do, um, it was put together by John Harold, AKA Patel Patriot. And what we do is try and find content to present. It's all focused on presenting content, content, not news aggregation. Uh, so there's a range of stuff. There's conspiracy stuff. There's sports stuff in the morning. Um, there's, um, I think Pe Pepe Lives Matter is more, he does more like religious, like inspirational type stuff. Um, we've just, basically we just gathered a whole bunch of content creators and said, guys, what do you want to create? We'll use Badlands Media to do your content and then we'll put it out as articles and as streams. So make sure to subscribe. Everything on there is free. Make sure to subscribe to badlands.substack.com. 
And then over on Rumble, you can search Badlands. The The URL is actually rumble.com slash C slash Badlands Media. If you want to just type that in, you'll find Badlands Media over there. Um, I think we're also streaming Badlands on Foxhole. I know I saw that discussed. I am not positive if that has started yet. Apologies if it ha- if I if I'm behind on that news, but I know that that was discussed in the chat that we were going to be on Foxhole. So hopefully there's a Badlands Foxhole channel. I'm not sure though. Um, anyway, all this stuff it premieres on Patel Patriot on his Rumble channel because his Rumble channel is huge, and then the replay gets loaded onto the Rumble channel for Badlands Media. So all the shows that I have been doing with Patrick Gunnels covering the Danchenko trial, all the replays are over here. And that is now complete. We've done our final, um, we've done our final edition of Danchenko trial coverage, uh, which actually, by the way, looking at it, I don't see that episode. I don't see our final episode. I wonder if it's still, okay. Patel hasn't moved it over. It's still on, it's right here. It's still on Patel's channel on Rumble. But that was our wrap up. We did that last night and we went through my final sub stack, which if you're interested in hearing our thoughts or hearing us read it, you want to have it read to you the final day of the trial plus the verdict. That's it right there. We nailed it at right about two hours long. Of course, the first like 15 minutes is music. And then my final article on the Danchenko trial is over at badlands.substack.com. So if you're not caught up on the Danchenko trial or you want to hear my final thoughts, go to that article, scroll all the way down to the last, like, there, like way down, all the way down to where you get to parting thoughts. And that is my wrap up, my final word on the Danchenko trial. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad it's done. I gotta admit, um, I have really enjoyed it. I'm really thankful that I, um, was able to access the transcripts, uh, courtesy of Badlands Media. And I'm thankful that I got to write all these in-depth articles, the longest articles I've ever written. And which really they didn't have that much commentary for me. It was the majority of it was me reading the transcript, parsing through it, figuring out what, uh, what was worth pulling out and putting into the stacks. But I learned so much through the process of it and I really enjoyed it. I definitely will do something like that again because it was well received and me and Patrick, working together to present the stacks on a stream, I thought worked really, really well. Um, especially when we started alternating and me reading my own commentary and giving thoughts in between Patrick reading the actual script from the trial. I thought it worked out really well. We got a ton of positive feedback on it. So I will definitely do that again in the near future. Um, or in the immediate future, I want to get back to my own Substack and write some things here. So I've been, I've been chewing on some different, bouncing around some different ideas in my head about what to write about next. And what has been most requested of me that I do and what I am most probably 
um, I don't know the right word for it right now. I probably need more coffee before I get too clever with my words. Uh, what I'm most attracted to is doing a substack or a, a short series of substacks on Trump being an FBI informant and on Trump being Batman, specifically Trump being Batman is how I would, would approach it. Um, I'm still thinking about that. It's definitely something I want to do someday. I know that that is something I want to do. What gives me a little bit of hesitation is I'm trying, I'm not sure how much Trump wants me to focus on that <laughs> and put that out there. Uh, so I, I'm, I get that hesitation because I, I know that there's narrative control happening from Trump and team. And so I'm a little bit hesitant, like, do they really want me doing that work and putting it out there right now? Or, you know, there might down the road might be a better time. Anyway, it's something I'm, I'm chewing on and, uh, I might, end, I might end up doing it. So, so, uh, a wild thing over on rumble. Oh yeah. You might get the cash Patel treatment. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. I mean, not that kind of treatment, not specifically from cash Patel, but that kind of treatment. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking about it. The gang is another HQ lion. See, that's another good one where I could get into that, but I could like write about specific members of the, um, of the band is, uh, is what I would do. So I, so I could write about the history of the band and individuals that are in the band who wound up in Trump's administration. These are these are things that are on my mind about it. So on my mind that I might want to write about next. So anyway, if you're not a subscriber to justhuman.substack.com, you should be. It is completely free. Everything I do is free. Um, I'm really not very good at grifting, uh, so I put everything up for free, and I don't do clickbait. Um, also on my so anyway, you should subscribe to it. And one of the bonuses of subscribing to it, besides my articles, which I don't write that many articles, uh, but one of the things I do use my Substack for is the podcast version of this show. So if you're interested in the podcast version, you would like to listen to the show while you do work around the house or um, drive, whatever. You want a podcast version? Substack is where it goes up. I post it in the afternoon after the show is over, and you can play it through the Substack app, or you can... Um, set it up to feed to your favorite player. So anyway, I'm still going to be writing for Badlands, by the way. it's not. I'm not done with Badlands. I'm just trying to think about what I want to write about next. And I'm definitely going to post whatever I do next on my own Substack, And then I'll still be a contributor to Badlands. Uh, probably not, probably won't write giant long form articles for, the, for Badlands for a while though. I have been looking at other trials. I saw that uh, Sammy the Squirrel in Rumber, 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 uh, Rumble Chat said that he had, he made a, I think it was Sammy's, made a joke about, have you picked out another trial? You're, are you ready to cover another trial or something like that? Yeah, they're ready to start on a new trial. I have been looking. Um, Kind of want to take a break from trial coverage, but kind of don't because I, I just like it so much um, and people appreciate it. I looked at 
the um the Fauci. Oh, Felix Sater, that's a good suggestion, Star Riders. I do have unfinished business when it comes to covering Felix Sater's work. Oh, that's a good suggestion. Thank you for that. Um, I did look at the Anthony Fauci lawsuit that I think is out of Missouri. Um, I got to say that Tracy Beans is doing a fantastic job covering that trial. She did an epic thread over the weekend that I referred people to. I, I thought she's, I think she's doing a great job on that. Um, and I'm not particularly interested in it, although it may be, it may turn out to be super important. Um, it's just not, I'm just not, I'm not super interested in it. Um, sorry. I am super interested in a Felix Sater lawsuit that was going around and has some very, very interesting stuff in it. So y'all may see me jump to that because that connects to a bunch of criminal players such as Hunter Biden and oh man, yeah, I might jump I might jump into that Felix Sater lawsuit to cover that. Another one that I looked at is the conic lawsuit of Greg Phillips and True the Vote. So I was reading a, a filing a, from that has been going around and basically casting Greg and True the Vote in a very negative light. Um, and I was reading, I was reading the filing last night that has been getting trafficked around and being used to bash Greg and, and Catherine Engelbrecht. And a lot of people are mistaken, are mistaken with that, um, lawsuit. They're taking the words of the defense or of the defense counts or the not defense of the, uh, Connick's attorney who is making allegations about Greg and Catherine and they're taking his quotes and then using that to say that that is what is happening and that that's what's true when it's an accusation coming from Connick, who is literally suing Greg and Catherine. And then they're also taking the uh, the judge's words. And the judge in that case is just not happy. And he's not happy with either side. And he was basically chewing out both sides. And there's been some selections from him chewing them out. Uh and people are using quotes from that to try and bash Greg and Catherine saying, this is what the judge has to say. Um, the judge did say that, but he's, he's, he's bashing both sides. The judge is really unhappy because of the arrest of Eugene Yu, because I, th this is just my impression on first read. Okay. My impression on first read is that the judge is unhappy because he took this lawsuit where Connick is suing Greg and Catherine. And then now Eugene Yu has been arrested for something related to what the lawsuit is premised on. And he feels like people aren't being honest with him as a judge or forthcoming with him. And then there's this issue of the FBI being involved, but the F FBI hasn't made any representation in the case. So the judge is like, I'm a federal judge. I need to be informed of what the FBI is doing and how this relates to this federal case. And he doesn't have the agent's name. He doesn't have nothing. He has nothing on the FBI. He just has each side saying the FBI is involved. And then there's been this arrest. So the judge is not happy and is, uh, yeah. 
it was it was kind of fun reading it last night to uh you don't this i haven't read a judge that was this uh i don't know cantankerous he was he was quite a quite a grouch anyway i've been looking at that but let me get to what i i saved for y'all let me get to what i saved for y'all let's go on to some of this stuff for today's show so welcome everybody I'm glad to be here. We are not covering a trial today, even though I'm still talking about it. Um, Alaskan Treasure, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. They say that you that me and Patrick rocked it on Badlands Media, replacing the fake news. Well, I it felt really good. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Oh, CPA Deb says the U.S. Justice Department is going to hold a press conference today on a significant national security matter. That's interesting. That is interesting. JC Bird, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. And over on Foxhole, thank you guys for the uh, for the gold. All right, let's get to this first thing I saved. Now, again, this is some stuff that has uh, popped up onto my radar in the past week or so. And I set it aside in a folder, bookmarked it to present it today. Uh, once I got past the Danchenko trial. Um, I don't believe it'll be the last time we see Danchenko in court, by the way. We'll see, though. Next time, he might be a witness. All right, Mean Gene 1 over on Twitter did this thread. And this is pretty interesting. He says, let's take a look closer at this article, as I think it's ultimate proof the GOP was involved in stealing from Trump. The premise, Trump was less popular than down-ballot GOP in districts he won. Or so, Washington Post concludes. During his testimony before the House Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021, he's quoting WAPO, by the way, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger batted down a flurry of inaccurate claims about voter fraud that had been promoted by Donald Trump. What happened in the fall of 2020 is that 28,000 Georgians skipped the presidential race, and yet they voted down ballot in other races, Raffensperger told the J6 committee. Can you imagine? The Republican congressman ended up getting 33,000 more votes than President Trump. And that's why President Trump came up short. This is a simple point, but an often overlooked one. Trump has often pointed to the fact that he lost the presidency, even while Republicans did better than expected in House races, as evidence that votes for him were suppressed or votes for Joe Biden augmented through fraud. <laughs> mean Gene once says, never Trumper says what? <laughs> But Raffensperger gets a simpler answer. Trump was simply less popular than other Republican candidates. Quote, presidential votes are usually tallied by House district, leaving such analyses to third parties. For the past president, several presidential cycles, that's been done by the Daily Coast. 
which figures out how votes overlap with House boundaries. We can compare those results with the district-by-district district results and House races compiled by Cook Political Report. The Daily Coast is doing the analysis of how House districts voting overlaps with third parties and presidential votes. What the world? Daily Coast. <laughs> All right. So in 2020, this is he's quoting from the article, okay? No, this is not what Mean Gene One is offering, okay? This is Mean Gene One quoting from the WAPO article. Just want to be clear. <laughs> Mean Gene One is not an idiot. <laughs> in 2020, Trump got north of 74 million votes nationally. Republican House candidates got about 73 million. But when we compare those numbers at a district level, we see that in most House districts, Republican candidates winning and losing got more votes than Trump. In nearly all of the districts where House candidates overperformed relative to Trump, they also did better in the vote margin. In nearly a third of the districts where Trump got more votes, though, the Republican running for the House had a better margin than the president, meaning that they won by more or lost by less. So here's how they did it. You'll notice that districts in which more votes were cast were more likely to be ones in which Trump got fewer votes. We see that many of the districts where House candidates got more votes than Trump are districts that he actually won. That is, in fact, the case. Trump won about two-thirds of the districts in which he was outperformed by Republican House candidates and won about a fifth of districts where he outperformed his party's House candidate. Trump won about 64% of districts in which his vote margin was worse than Republican candidates. In other words, if this theory that House Republicans performed better than him because of fraud were true, that fraud, fraud somehow led to his winning two-thirds of those districts. Weird fraud because it was done by GOP, and that's the kicker. That's the thing. That's the thing. The fraud was done by the GOP. In fact, Trump got 712,000 fewer votes than Republican House candidates in districts he won. In districts he lost, he got 2.1 million more votes. Let me read that again. Trump got 712,000 fewer votes than Republican House candidates in districts he won. In districts he lost, he got 2.1 million more votes. In states Trump won, he got about 140,000 more votes than his party's House nominees. In states he lost, he got 1.2 million more. The Raffensperger's point is a clear, concise one. The idea that Trump underperformed House candidates because of fraud is obviously not true. No, it's obviously true. It's obviously true. His problem was a lot of Americans, including a lot of Republicans and heavily Republican areas, didn't want to vote for Trump. No, 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 no. 
that's the programming they're trying to use Raffensburger for. They're trying to help. They're they're using. They're trying to use Raffensburger to program people to believe this myth that Trump is not the most repo- most popular Republican candidate ever in the history of our country. Um, and they're trying to put out this myth and and push this idea, this narrative, that there are a bunch of Republicans who don't like Trump. And so they voted for other Republicans on the ticket, but they chose not to vote for Trump. So therefore, guys, there's no fraud. See, there's no fraud. They're trying to explain away the obvious fraud that there is because the GOP was just as, if not more complicit in the theft of the 2020 election than the Dems were. And we all know that. We all know that. But it is, I caught this thread from Mean Gene 1, which I like. And he does a, he does a great job. This is not the first time he's done this. He does a great job of finding media articles and extracting uh, the contradictions in them and seeing what they're trying to cover up. And this is a classic article right here where they're the Washington post is trying to program people to believe a certain thing, um, as a defensive maneuver, they're trying to, they're trying to work against what is so obvious. There's, it's obvious that the Repu- the GOP participated in stealing the election from Trump while also making sure their own candidates won. And mean gene one does a great job of pulling this out, figuring it out and seeing through it. Okay, next. Up in Smoke is from October 18th. Ohio firefighters rushed to an arson fire at Warren Steel, the second in as many years. Owned by oligarch Ihor Kolomoisky, who was the active target of a U.S. money laundering probe. Company files in a building where were dumped out and lit ablaze, said an on-site worker. So they know this is fire. Um, or this is arson, I mean. They know that this this fire was arson. Um, because did I save that one? I don't think I moved that article over. Or it might be contained within this. There wasn't just one location of the fire, there were several fires lit around the, the mill. The factory's been shuttered by oligarch Ihor Kolomoski and his partners in 2016, leaving 162 workers out of jobs. The first fire that was deliberately set at Warren Steel was in August of 2021, but the perpetrators were never caught. Millions of dollars were poured into this. I've covered that before, how there was a ton of money that was poured into this and then it never opened or it did open for a short time. But there's this probe going on um, into Kolomoisky, and so he had to pull out of this. And then, according to someone who was there at the fire, it says on site worker. I don't know if he means someone that works for the company or if he means a firefighter. I'm guessing he means a firefighter because this 
the mill's been closed for a while now. So I'm guessing he means a firefighter and he's referring to him as an on-site worker. But according to him, there were company files were dumped out in the fire and set ablaze. Um, but they know it was arson. And one of the reasons they know is that several small fires were set inside the building and the building's not been used in years. So Ihor Kolomoisky's people here in America trying to cover up his crimes. Desperate move, a very desperate move. Which makes me wonder what's, what caused that. You know, was somebody given a subpoena or a search warrant or something? And then um, they ended up taking drastic action like that? Not sure. Um, you may remember a while back I covered this drone that washed up on shore in Ukraine or near Crimea, uh, and it looked to be a Ukrainian drone. It's been pretty much confirmed that it was a Ukrainian drone with explosives on board, and they were using it to... It was a kamikaze drone, is what it was, but they lost control of this one, and it drifted onto shore. The Russians towed it out to sea and blew it up because it wasn't safe. Uh, US and I did an article that's breaking down what this drone was using OSINT, and, you know, since this drone, this, this happened like a week. No, let's see. This was, it was like the week before this drone was discovered, I believe. What was it? It was last month. What was the date of that? 21st September. And then it was on August 8th that the Crimean bridge was blown up. And we know that Ukraine did that. And then Russia hit back with some strikes in Kiev, but... Zelensky isn't even in Kiev and he hasn't been in Kiev for a long time. Um, it's, I wanted to bring this up, but I kind of want to make a larger comment about Ukraine. Um, I saw some reports about, I saw that Russia I think Putin himself said that Ukraine is working on a dirty bomb. Um, I got to admit, I am kind of worried about that. I am, I am worried that Ukraine is going to do something really drastic like that. And they're going to injure or kill a bunch of civilians and they're going to blame Russia. And It would not be the first time they tried to do that because we know that at the beginning of the war, there was a, an attack that was thwarted through, um, cyber means. Um, Ezra Cohen Watnick talked about it on a live stream that, that he did for the, the Hoover institution, or maybe I think it was for the Hoover institution. He did it or the Hudson Institute. I'm sorry. I think it was for the Hudson Institute that he did the live stream. Um, but they talked about how a uh, attack had been thwarted, and I think it was a chemical attack. And then there was another one where they had a, towards the early part of the war, I think within the first month or two, there was some sort of chemical attack that was set up in order to kill a bunch of people in the Donbass region, and that was luckily stopped. So... No, I just bring that up to say that, like, 
I... I think we ought to be praying for the people of Ukraine and for the people of Russia, because I think that this, this conflict is at a, uh, a stage where Ukraine is desperate enough to do something like that. Um, anyway, um, I, I saved this article because I just wanted to show that it was, it, it was confirmed that this was a Ukrainian vessel and they've been using it to try and kamikaze uh, and other vessels like it to try and kamikaze Russian ships in that that area. And that is one of the reasons why we haven't seen as much Russian ship activity in that area. Um, someone in chat, Ant Mentor, says Sergey Lavrov said that they were targeting a, a Euro city, NATO, to get the world officially involved. Well, I could believe that. I can believe that these are these are evil people. I mean, we're talking about Nazis here. We're talking about Nazis. So evil people. All right. Let me see. I want that, and I want that. Okay. Probably should have led off with this, but whatever. Dawson did this thread in response to Christopher Steele uh, with his stupid tweet. And I think it's some of Dawson's, I think it's great because Dawson keeps using the word Russia and Russian over and over again, the same way that the MSM did for years saying Russia, Russia, Russia. And so Dawson like adopts that method in delivering this. And I think it makes for a pretty entertaining thread. Um, he's basically using the framework that the MSM and Democrats did against them. So check this out in light of Chris Steele's attempt to correct the record, which by the way, this is Christopher Steele's tweet. And if you didn't see it, it says, and to correct the Danchenko trial record, we were not offered a million dollars by the FBI to prove up our Trump Russia reporting. Rather, we were told there were substantial funds to resettle sources in the U S if they were prepared to testify in public. Understandably, they were not, but this is how Dawson responds. In light of Chris Steele's attempt to correct the record, let's take a look at that record. DNC operative, DNC fundraiser, Hillary Clinton foreign policy advisor, and Russian agent Chuck Dolan made up the allegations against Trump. Russian agent Chuck Dolan then provided the false allegations to Igor Danchenko. Danchenko is a Russian, suspected by the FBI of being a Russian intelligence agent. This Russian then provided Russian agent Christopher Steele with the secondhand fictional allegations against Trump. Christopher Steele, a former MI6 officer, worked as a Russian agent for Oleg Deripaska, known as Putin's oligarch and other Russian oligarchs. Steele combined the false info from his fellow Russian agents with false info his Russian oligarchs paid for to create the Steele dossier. Russian agent Chris Steele then provided his false dossier to Russian agent Glenn Simpson, who was representing Prevazone and other Russian oligarchs, protecting corrupt swampy money stolen by Putin and his friends. At the same time, Russian agent Chris Steele was paying Russian agent Glenn Simpson and his firm Fusion GPS to collect dirt on Paul Manafort on behalf of Putin's oligarch Oleg Deripaska. Meanwhile, 
Oleg Deripaska was controlling Manafort's efforts to sabotage Trump's campaign using Russian agent Konstantin Kalimnik, a suspected Russian spy, as their go-between. Russian agent Chris Steele and his client, Putin's oligarch Oleg Deripaska, were meeting with DOJ ADAG Bruce Orr. Orr was working with and for Putin's oligarch in what he claims was a failed effort to flip Russian oligarchs against Vladimir Putin. Russian agent Chris Steele also was providing his dossiered Deripaska's ally at DOJ, Bruce Orr, as a backdoor into Andrew McCabe, deputy director of the FBI. A dossier funded by Russian agent Glenn Simpson, but billed to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Deputy director McCabe also has a long history of working with and for Oleg Deripaska. First, in the failed mission to rescue retired FBI agent Bob Levinson, who died in Iranian custody, investigating Russian-Iranian money laundering. Then McCabe tried, to get in, tried getting Deripaska to help stop Trump in 2016. McCabe perverted FBI processes to trick FBI agents and analysts into believing the dossier created, created by Russian agents working for Oleg Deripaska. While McCabe was trying to frame Comey and the FBI for obstructing the investigation of Trump. When that effort failed, Russian agents Simpson and Steele then enlisted Senator John McCain to convince Republicans that Trump was a Russian agent. Why McCain? Because he has also worked with and for Putin's oligarch Oleg Deripaska for many years. If you were solely focused on the Danchenko trial, you missed two big cases DOJ filed one at the opening of the Danchenko trial, and another after the verdict. The first indicting Oleg Deripaska and associates for violating sanctions placed upon him by Trump. The second indictment was yesterday. It involved Deripaska's aluminum company, China's oil company, Venezuela's oil company, and the middlemen who were stealing U.S. military technology and shipping it to Russia for use by their defense contractors. So it is little wonder that a bunch of Russian agents working for Putin's oligarch Oleg Deripaska were unwilling to publicly testify under oath about allegations they made up. Understandably, that may be that would be an easy perjury charge for every Russian agent involved. As some of us have been saying since 2018, everyone in Spygate was working for Oleg Deripaska. The colluders, investigators, key officials at FBI and DOJ, and the top swampy politicians in both parties. Manafort, Steele, Simpson, McCabe, or Clintons and McCain. I caught them all. I really like that thread from Dawson because it's a bit snarky and he's using the same framework that the, the media pushed upon us all this time saying Russia, 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 suspected Russian agent, Putin's oligarch, la, 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 la. When we all know that the real Russia collusion was engaged in by McCain and Clinton and McCabe and Simpson and Steele. That's the real collusion. And Trump did catch them. Now, he did say that there was another indictment, another two big cases. Some people missed it, but I didn't miss it. I found that and I bookmarked it. And one of the th 
reasons it stood out to me is because I was, I found it on the same day it came out last Thursday. And I was going through checking DOJ websites and the U S attorney's websites looking for press releases. And it, this same case got mentioned in three different places. So Eastern district of New York, district of Connecticut, and the DOJ's Office of Public Affairs made an announcement. So all three places announced this same thing, but there's it's it's there's two separate cases, but it's involving the same people. So the first one is from Eastern District of New York, which, by the way, that's where John Durham one of John Durham's sons is. He's a um, a U.S. attorney here, John J. Durham. It's not John Durham Jr. It's John J. Durham. And he is still on the uh, task force Vulcan working against MS-13. Um, but there's this indictment here, which is a bunch of PRC people. Now, oh, this is so timely. This is so timely. See, someone in Rumble chat, Buffering1, good morning, just said, oh yeah, screw Garland. And um, the thing is, the thing is, um, <laughs> we've been programmed to hate Garland and dislike him, uh, but Garland's actually doing a really good job. <laughs> Ducks from rotten fruit. You, when you look at what DOJ is actually doing, all all of the policies and initiatives that were begun under the Trump DOJ are continuing. And here we have another example of that. Six individuals charged with conspiring to act as illegal agents of the People's Republic of China. These are more PRC agents. This is more espionage stuff that is being charged under the Garland DOJ. There's been so much of it. There's been so much of it. It's, am it's amazing that all of this stuff is going on and the media is, especially conservative media, is pushing us all to, with clickbait articles, to hate Garland and think Garland is just the worst AG ever. Meanwhile, all this good stuff is happening, such as taking on the PRC. And their agents. This is another example. This is an Eastern District of New York. And then in the District of Connecticut, European nationals and entities indicted on charges of violating U.S. laws for their attempt to export a dual-use high-precision jig grinder to Russia. And check this out. A superseding indictment charging individuals and companies in Europe with violating United States export laws and regulations by attempting to smuggle a dual-use Export-controlled item to Russia was unsealed yesterday in the District of Connecticut. The indictment alleges that beginning in 2018, Eriks Mamanovs and Vadim's Ananiks, both citizens of Latvia who operated CNC Weld, a Latvia-based corporation conspired with Stanislav Romanyuk, a citizen of Ukraine and resident of Estonia, who operate Estonia-based BY Trade OU, 
and others, including Janis Uzbalis of Latvia and individuals in Russia and a Russia-based company. They didn't name which those are. Individuals in Russia and a Russia-based company. I wonder if that points to Oleg Deripaska. To violate U.S. export laws and regulations and smuggle a jig grinder that was manufactured in Connecticut to Russia. A jig grinder is a high-precision grinding machine system that does not require a license to export to European Union countries, but does require a license to export or re-export to Russia because of its potential application in nuclear proliferation and defense programs. At no time did the defendants apply for, receive, or possess a license of authorization from the U.S. Department of Commerce to export or re-export the jig grinder to Russia as, as required by the Export Control Reform Act of 2018 and Export Administration Regulations, which restrict the export of items that could make a significant contribution to the military potential of other nations or that could be detrimental to U.S. foreign policy and national security. U.S. authorities working with Latvian authorities intercepted the jig grinder in Riga, Latvia, before it was shipped to Russia. So an operation went down European side to seize this piece of cargo. Ananix, Mamanovs, and Uzbalis were arrested yesterday in Riga, Latvia. Romanyuk was arrested in Tallinn, Estonia on June 13th. They are currently detained and the United States is seeking their extradition. The indictment alleges that these defendants attempted to smuggle a high-precision export-controlled item to Russia where it would have been used in nuclear proliferation and Russian defense programs. The danger created by such conduct is profound. I thank HSI, the Department of Commerce, and FBI, and our partners in Latvia and Estonia. And that's from U.S. Attorney Vanessa Roberts-Avery. All right. The power and precision of American technology must not be not be put to use by the Kremlin's war machine, said Andrew Adams, director of Task Force Klepto Capture. All right. Task Force Klepto Capture is a task force that has really gotten my attention lately. Because under the under the guise under the guise of sanctions based on Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine and all this that type of talk under that framework under that narrative task force klepto capture has been going after all of these Ukrainian and Russian oligarchs and taking their assets indicting them, sanctioning them, restricting their movements, freezing their bank accounts, um, all of this stuff, that all that kind of stuff. And it seems to me like what they are effectively doing is draining the European and Russian swamp. And now the words of like the the framework and the narrative work of Kremlin's war machine and Russia's illegal and unjust war right here, exploited by Russia in this unjust war. See, all that stuff catches headlines and it's all narrative control. But these individuals are engaged in criminality and these narratives have allowed the creation of this task force klepto capture and given the DOJ and the Treasury the cover they need narrative-wise 
to drain the swamp, to drain the international swamp. It is, yes, uh, Envision over on Rumble is absolutely worldwide swamp draining. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it everywhere. Um, there's articles or there's some sort of press release or something every week. And I really believe this is what is going on. I really believe that the swamp draining is not just happening in the U.S. It's happening internationally. And that's why y'all have heard me say before, I really can't tell the difference between the Trump DOJ and the Biden DOJ. And I can't tell the difference between the Trump Treasury and the Biden Treasury. And it's because of stuff like this. So these guys got busted. Now, this indictment, I think, and Dawson thinks it connects back to um, Oleg Deripaska. It probably does. It probably does. Now, the media constantly say, they always describe Oleg Deripaska as, as Putin's oligarch or um, Putin-aligned oligarch or set an oligarch, a Russian oligarch who is said to be close to Vladimir Putin. I don't believe he actually is. I don't believe, I think that's just what the media describe him as because they, they, and especially because they wanted to connect Putin to Oleg Deripaska to connect Putin to Trump and the Russia collusion and all that. So they constantly tried to connect it when actually Oleg Deripaska was the enemy of Trump and was trying to um, he was funding everybody who was in Spygate and was trying to create Russia collusion. So the media describes him that way in order to put that narrative out. Um, I wanted to see, does this have the name of the company? Let's use MNDBH. NDA GBMH is a front company. Who is... Okay, I want to see these. All right, here, there's two, so I covered the first case. The first case has to do with that jig, but there's another case, okay? So in Eastern Edition of New York, that's the one, wait, is that the one? No, the first one, Connecticut. Connecticut's the first case we looked at, okay? That's the one with the jig grinder. Now, the other case that happened was in Eastern Edition of New York, Five Russian nationals and two oil brokers for Venezuela are charged in an indictment unsealed today for their alleged participation in global sanctions evasion and money laundering scheme. One defendant was arrested on October 17th in Germany, and another defendant was arrested on October 17th in Italy, both at the request of the United States. As alleged, the defendants obtained military technology from U.S. companies, smuggled millions of barrels of oil, and laundered tens of millions of dollars for Russian industrialists, sanctioned entities, and the world's largest energy conglomerate. That's pointing at Oleg Deripaska. Separately, in U.S. District, <coughs> excuse me, separately in U.S. District Court for the District of Connecticut, a superseding indictment was unsealed carrying four individuals. Those are the ones we just read about. These charges reveal two separate global schemes to violate U.S. export and sanction laws, including shipping sensitive military technology from U.S. manufacturers. This is Merrick Garland's announcement. As I have said, our investigators and prosecutors will be relentless in their efforts to identify, locate, and bring to justice those whose illegal acts undermine the rule of law and enable the Russian regime to continue its unprovoked invasion 
of Ukraine. Now, we all know it's not in promote. This is just narrative control. All right, I want to look at this, these other arrests. Yuri Urbikov, a Russian na national residing in Germany. Artem Us, or Us, of Moscow. Svetlana Kuzergosheva, also known as Lana Newman, of Moscow. Timofey Telegin of Moscow. Sergei Tulyakov, of Moscow. <coughs> Pardon me. Also charged of Juan Fernando Serrano Ponce and Juan Carlos Soto, who brokered deals for PDVSA. Okay, let's see if we can find the company. Yeah, Gazprom and Dolan Connection, because um, he did PR work for them. Orkov served as partner and part owner no he served as part owner and ceo and managing director of nord Deutsche industry and long logenbau nda gbnh okay i'm gonna look that up in just a moment commodity trading company in hamburg germany the owner of indimage artem us the son of the governor of russia's krasnoyar krasnoyarsk cry region Okay. I'm looking for any more company names because I want to see if I can find a direct tie-in to OLEC. U.S. manufacturers, some of the parts are dual use and there are semiconductors and microprocessors used in fighter aircraft, missile systems, smart munitions, radar, etc. Orkov traveled to the United States to source parts used in the Russian-made Sukhoi fighter aircraft and American-made F-22 Raptor stealth fighter aircraft. Orkov and also allegedly used NDA GMBH as a front to smuggle hundreds of millions of barrels of, from, of oil from Venezuela. Okay, let me look at this NDA GBMH. Yes, they've been sanctioned four days ago. Okay, they've been they were des these companies and these people were designated pursuant to EO 14024 for operating for having operated in the technology sector of the sector of the Russian Federation economy. Uh sanction implications. These are more sanctions by DOJ. I really these are these are swamp people doing I mean they're doing engaged in criminal activity and espionage. But I really want to find the tie-in to Oleg Deripaska, there is one, but it seems Opus Energy. There we go. Opus LLC. Yes. Opus. Opus Energy Limited supplies gas and electricity, electricity to businesses across the United Kingdom. Purchases electricity. Is this the same Opus Energy as what is sanctioned here? Opus Energy Trading LLC. 
Because this... This might be a different one because this is in the UK. I mean, it might be the same one. U.S. bus network procuring U.S. tech to Russia. Ooh, I wonder if Op I wonder if Opus Energy is the shell company that was referred to in the indictment's press release. Two of his comp okay, his two companies says that he's part of he owns that one. Hmm, I wonder if Opus Energy is a front company for him. That's interesting. Okay. Anyway, I am convinced that that is what is going on here, is that swamp draining is happening, like I said, under the guise of fighting back against Putin's illegal, unlawful invasion of Crimea. Okay, let me close those out. Now, somebody asked a question. I saw a rant. Let me scroll up. Zilosophy. Good morning, Zilosophy. Thank you for the rant. Philosophy asks, do you think you'll cover the Biden laptop report? Otten, Tebow, and their cronies took up one-third of the intro. Otten responsible for pushing Russia collusion hoax and suppressing laptop truth. Yeah, Otten is in big trouble. He would be suspended right now if not for his appeal of his suspension. I do think he will be suspended. Um... I do think he will end up being suspended. And part of it from the trial, we learned that uh, part of the reason that he was recommended for suspension, if not the major re reason, is because he refuses to admit his his role in the uh, what is it? His role in the uh, Carter Page FISA. He refused to admit his involvement in it. Um. I'm going to look up this Department of Justice. Um, announcement that's supposed to be coming up. Let me see if I can. Aye, aye, aye. I wonder if this conference has to do with the indictments I just covered.
malign influence schemes and alleged criminal activity by a nation state actor in the United States. Okay. Well, it's either going to be Russia, Iran, or China. We know that. All right. Anyway, back to Zelosky's question, whether or not I'm going to cover the Biden laptop report. I'm, I've thought of it. Um, so a couple people have asked me if I, if I would cover it, I've thought about doing it. Um, I might, it's a huge report. It's a huge report to get into. So, um, I have, I've seen snips of it, but I haven't read the whole thing. I might, especially, especially the parts that have to do with Otten and Tebow. So it, it might be something that I end up covering. Somebody else tagged me on here on Rumble. What is it? Okay, I see I see what you're saying. All right. All right, one more thing. Now this gets into this is quite an onion. Um Honestly, this is quite an onion, but I there's been a development with this. And y'all may have seen that Leonardo DiCaprio was named as a witness in an ex, ex-Fuji's rapper case. Like, like what the world? Like, <laughs> I don't know if y'all saw this, but um, <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio named as a witness in ex-Fuji's rapper Prass Mikkel's money laundering trial which is just weird. Um, he's among 72 witnesses prepped for former Fuji's member in his case. In 2019, one of the founding members of the 1990s hip hop group, Mikkel was charged in a campaign finance conspiracy that took place during the 2012 presidential election. The justice department confirmed a four count indictment accused Mickle or Michael. I'm, I don't know if it's Mickle or Michael. It's probably Michael. I don't know. It's missing that A over there. Of conspiring with fugitive Malaysian financier Low Take Joe, usually known as Joe Low, to make and conceal foreign campaign contributions. He is alleged to have used straw donors to give campaign contributions to a U.S. presidential candidate who was identified in the indictment only as candidate A. So now I've got your interest, don't I? I mean, it's enough that we're talking about this douchebag. And then we have this Fuji's rapper or whatever. But now we have a presidential candidate taking illegal money. Hmm, I wonder who the presidential candidate is from 2012. Lowe has gained attention in the last several years after U.S. officials accused him of masterminding a money laundering scheme and bribery scheme that pilfered billions from the Malaysian state investment fund known as 1MDB. That may ring a bell for some of you. He's been charged separately by both U.S. and Malaysian officials in connection with that alleged fraud, but remains at large. Someone in chat says it's Mitchell. 
Lee Tuitamo. That's my best effort at your last name. Lee Tuitamo says it's pronounced Mitchell. I'm going to go with that because I like saying Mitchell more than I like. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mitchell. All right, so Mitchell is faced with separate civil forfeiture complaint, accusing him of a scheme to try to get the department to drop an investigation into embezzlement from a Malaysian investment fund. Mitchell has a denied wrongdoing in that case. The embezzlement from the fund, known as 1MDB, became a political scandal in Malaysia. Looted money allegedly paid for jewelry and luxury art and helped finance the Wolf of Wall Street and other Hollywood production. What the world? Guys, money... From the that was embezzled into this fund, one MDB was used to pay for jewelry, luxury art, and to help finance the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. The Justice Department in 2018 announced charges against Lowe and two former Goldman Sachs bankers in a money laundering and bribery scheme that pilfered money from the fund, created to spur economic development projects in that country. Other witnesses listed for Mitchell's trial are former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, former Deputy National Security Advisor Matt Pottinger, casino, casino mogul Steve Wynn, and there's more. There's 72 witnesses named. All right, now Chief of Staff John Kelly. Let's look him up and see if that gives us a clue as to the president that might have been used. I mean, he also could just be a witness because he was aware of it. Okay. Chief of Staff John Kelly was served as White House Chief of Staff for Trump for a time. He had previously served in the Homeland Security Department in the Trump administration. Was commander of United States Southern Command. He's now a board member at Calibrum or Calibrum International. What was he doing in 2012? I want to see what he was doing in 2012. Okay, he went to Homeland Security in 2016. Kelly was nominated for Lieutenant General on March 9th, 2011 and confirmed by the Senate March 16th, 2011. Kelly was Senior Military Assistant, Secretary of Defense, and personally greeted Secretary Leon Panetta at the entrance to the Pentagon on July 1st, 2011, Panetta's, Panetta's first day as Secretary. 2012. He was still in the military in 2012. Okay, so he was still serving in the military in 2012 and then in 2016 he was nominated to be the head of DHS okay I wonder if so he's been named as a witness 
I wonder, I wonder in what way he was a witness to this. All right. Former Debbie National Security Advisor, I think it's Matt Pottinger, was also in the Trump administration, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. He was Trump's Deputy National Security Advisor. I think he's the... Yes, he is. He's the guy that Ezra Cohen-Watnett uh, made a uh, statement about what a patriot this guy is. I'm looking to see what he was doing in 2012. On his second tour in Afghanistan, he met Michael Flynn, and he co-wrote a report with them. The report was published in 2010. He might have still, he was still, he was in reserves in the military in 2012. I don't see anything political listed for 2012. Okay, just looking to see if we can get a clue as to which presidential candidate. Um might have been named in this. Okay. Now, back to Dawson's threat on this. This trial isn't just a money laundering trial. The money being laundered was part of an attempt to bribe Trump on behalf of President Xi of China to shut down the FBI's 1MDB case. I've been following it since the DOJ lawyer involved pled guilty in November of 2018. Since President Xi wasn't indicted, DOJ had to give him a nickname for threaters to puzzle out. Of course, it was easy to identify with one, the President of the People's Republic of China. Now, Dawson may be slightly off here, I think, because here's, the, here's from the indictment. PRC National A was a citizen of the PRC, that's People's Republic of, of China, living in the United States on a temporary visa. The government of the PRC, including PRC Minister A and the president of the PRC, were seeking the removal of PRC National A from the United States back to the PRC. In late 2016 through 2019, DOJ was actively investigating transactions of foreign national A allegedly associated with laundered proceeds of the 1MDB embezzlement scheme. In July 2016, DOJ filed multiple civil forfeiture complaints seeking the forfeiture of millions of dollars in assets allegedly purchased with 1MDB laundered proceeds. I am wondering if President Xi of... I wonder if it's not him, but it's that other guy who was president who just got taken out. We've got that video clip that came out this weekend where that other minister who was like President Xi's rival was taken out and, and like escorted out of their Congress or their assembly or whatever. I wonder if one of these people, either PRC Minister A or that other guy, if that guy was one of those. that's in this indictment. And if it is, then that would make sense that something like that, huge in Tao, thank you. 
Yeah, we two sheep. Thank you. Hu Jintao. I wonder if Hu Jintao... I wonder if this is the impetus or part of the reason why he was taken out. And I don't mean like taken out. I mean, walked out of that assembly like that. Um, anyway, so back to Dawson's threat. Just digging through the criminal information to identify person one. If you think my nuke isn't justified, DOJ included an easy one to identify the president of the People's Republic of China. That's big. Like many swamp creatures, these got caught for whispering too close to Trump's FBI-supplied wire. There's the indictment right here. Pross was initially indicted for an earlier scheme involving failed efforts to bribe President Obama in 2012. Boom! That's who it is. President Obama in 2012 to get him to shut down the 1MDB case. Where $5 billion were stolen from people of Malaysia by Hillary's favorite bankers, Saudi Prince and China. Then Saudi finance minister Prince Faisal al-Turki made $626 million in payments, payments to a private bank, bank account from Malaysia's prime minister from Saudi government funds. PM Razi kept his cut and then kicked back much of the money to Prince's private accounts. Of course, Mitchell is a big donor to both the Clinton Foundation and Hillary's campaign in 2016. But after she lost, he had to buy access to the GOP swamp creatures like Elliot Broidy, an attempt to bribe Trump into obstructing the case Obama wouldn't obstruct. The scheme involved Pross Mitchell of the Fugees, who gave between 50 and $100 million to the Clinton Foundation. <clears throat> he was also a big donor to Obama 2012 and Clinton 2016 campaigns. He has been indicted on campaign finance charges for those donations. Lots of charges against Goldman Sachs for their role. Deutsche Bank was also a major player in the scam. This is from 2018. Malaysia files criminal charges against Hillary's favorite bank, Goldman Sachs, in the 1MDB scandal. This is in addition to charges against the two Goldman Sachs executives who have also been charged in the U.S. All the way back to one of my very first But Nothing Is Happening threads. This one right here. Um, DOJ employee assigned to congressional support duties was deceiving banks on money laundering cases. The big Malaysian case and that resulted in guilty pleas that is linked to Obama, Clinton fundraisers, and Goldman Sachs. This is way back in November of 2018. Former Justice Department employee pleads guilty to conspiracy to deceive the U.S. banks Deceive U.S. banks about millions of dollars in foreign lobbying funds. George Higginbotham. I'm looking at the attorneys that were on this case. See if I recognize anybody. 
Okay. Let me go back up to this other one. This one. And this is from June of 2021. U.S. entertainer and businessman, a Malaysian national, charged with back-channel lobbying campaign to drop 1MDB investigation and remove Chinese dissident from the U.S., Federal grand jury in the District of Columbia returned a superseding indictment Thursday charging a U.S. entertainer and businessman in Malaysian national with orchestrating an unregistered back-channel campaign beginning in or about 2017 to influence the then-administration of the President of the United States and the Department of Justice both to drop the investigation of Joe Lowe and others in connection with the international strategic and development company known as One Malaysia Development Berhad, 1MDB. Okay. According to the superseding indictment, Lowe Take Joe, 39, also known as Joe Lowe, and Prokazrel, whatever, Pross Mitchell, 48, are alleged to have conspired with Elliot Broidy, Nikki Loom Davis, and others to engage in undisclosed lobbying campaigns at the direction of Lowe and the Vice Minister of the P Public Security for the People's Republic of China. Ooh, I need to look up who that is to see if he's still, if he's still part of the CCP or the PRC. Oh, no way. No way is it the same guy. Vice Minister of Public Security. China's Vice Minister of Public Security arrested in corruption probe. Swamp draining. Swamp draining happening internationally. Let's see if it gives any specifics about this probe here. Hmm. <laughs> okay. It didn't say exactly what he was. Uh, San Lejeune. Vice Minister of Public Security, San Lejeune. <clears throat> Severe violations of uh, what is the what are the specifics of the probe? Mr. Sun was among four Chinese intelligence officials who came to Washington, New York in twenty seventeen and improperly abused their visas to pressure a Chinese dissident. This is it. This is it. Yes. This is the same guy. Because that's what happened here. 
They came to the U.S. to remove a Chinese dissident from the U.S. This is it. Okay, back to this uh, press release from 2021. Both of them pressured to have the 1MDB embezzlement investigation and forfeiture proceedings involving Lowe and others dropped and to have a Chinese dissident sent back to China. Mitchell and Lowe are also charged with conspiring to commit money laundering and related to the foreign influence campaigns. Mitchell is also charged with witness tampering and conspiracy to make false statements to banks. section this came out of the la field office okay i want to i want to see what the uh what the current status of this case is hold on so is this trial so this is the trial that is going on right here okay let me um let's go to court listener and let's search his real name Let's see, it was name it was uh let's try let's try Jolo first. Let's see if we can find this case real quick. United States versus Joe. And why? Okay. And then let's look up the other guy. Probably won't be under his, probably won't have his nickname or short named in there. I'll go ahead and search it that way, but it's this one. Yes, this is the one. Yes, this is the one. Okay. Okay, I'm going to save those. And I might start following that case. Surely it'll be entertaining considering that so many Hollywood stars and other people are involved in it. Good stuff. Okay. There's something else that happened. Oh, I thought I saved the uh, Justice Department announcement. Hold on just a moment. I want to I want to grab the Justice Department announcement on this one. Just a moment. I have it somewhere else. I want to make sure I pull this up.
There we go. Now this is from Wednesday of last week. Directors resigned from the boards of five companies in response to Justice Department concerns about potentially illegal interlocking directorates. You might be saying, what? The resignations reflect antitrust division's efforts to reinvigorate enforcement and deter violations of Section 8 of the Clayton Act. Now, this is not something we've heard very much about. And you might know, know, not know what it is. And I didn't really know what it was. So I looked it up. Interlocking directorates and offices. No person shall at the same time serve as a director or officer in any two corporations other than banks, banking associates, and trust companies that are engaged in whole or in part in commerce and B, by virtue of their business and location of operation, competitors, so that the elimination of competition by agreement between them would constitute a violation of any antitrust laws. Notwithstanding the provisions of paragraph simultaneous services, a director or officer of any two corporations shall not be prohibited by this section if, and then it's got competitive sales and all this other stuff. But basically, it's where someone serves as an officer or a board member or whatever, and two companies are supposed to be competing against one another. So thereby then they would, there'd be antitrust issues. There'd be monopoly issues, that kind of thing. All right. So corporatism. DOJ announced back in February that they were going to start enforcing these laws because they've been basically unenforced. They've been overlooked and they have. And they sent notices to several companies saying, look, we're looking at you. Um, and we're thinking about bringing charges against you. And as a part of that, the, these people resigned. Now here are the companies they resigned from. Okay. This is where, why you, this is what's going to really catch y'all's interest. Definitive healthcare corp and zoom info technologies. That's the first one where some people resigned. The second one, Maxar Technologies and Redwire Group. The third one, Little Fuse Incorporated and CTS Corp. The fourth company, Skillsoft and Udemy. The fifth one, Solar Winds and Dynatrace. From Solar Winds and Dynatrace, the person who resigned is Toma or Toma Bravo through his director. He was director. Uh, he represented Toma Bravo on both boards at the same time. Two additional directors also represented Toma Bravo on the solar winds board. All three directors resigned from solar winds board in response to the division's concerns about the alleged interlock. Now they didn't indict anybody yet. They just put them on notice. We're taking a look at uh, taking a look at you. And all these resignations happened. Because they're in trouble. They are in trouble. From the Wall Street Journal, corporate directors resign as U.S. target overlaps at competing firms. Board members of software healthcare firms stepped down under Justice Department pressure over concerns of potential antitrust law violation. 
Board members of Udemy Incorporated, SolarWinds, and three other public companies resigned in recent weeks because they simultaneously served as directors of competing companies. The moves came after DOJ officials signaled earlier this year that they would enforce a law that bars people from serving on the boards of rival companies, an arrangement that could lead to illicit collusion. The Justice Department is reviewing whether other directors and companies have violated the law. The government didn't name the directors in a press release issued Wednesday, but security filings show that Udemy Director Lawrence Ilg, Definitive Healthcare Director D. Randall Wynn, and CTS board member Gordon Hunter all resigned their roles in September. Redwire Director Joanne Isham left that company's board this month. Mr. Ilg was or has also served on the board of Skillsoft Incorporated, according to security filings. Mr. Wynn is a director of Zoom Info Technologies. SEC filings show Mr. Hunter is chairman and former chief executive officer of Little Fuse Incorporated. Ms. Isham is a board member of Maxar Technologies. A Udemy spokeswoman said that, that Mr. Ilg stepped down as a result of the DOJ's concerns, but that there was no finding that the company violated any law. Not yet, there's not. Skillsoft is an online learning company that focuses on corporate customers and says in its latest annual report that its competitors include Udemy. Zoom Info markets software for sales, marketing, and recruiting professionals, while Definitive Healthcare offers software that helps life science and healthcare companies sell services to new customers. Little Fuse produces components such as fuses, sensors, and switches for electronic transportation and industrial uses while CTS makes sensing and motion devices and connectivity components for aerospace, defense, industrial, medical, and transportation markets. Wedwire and Maxar are both space infrastructure companies. Three directors of SolarWinds resigned in response to the GOJ's concerns about board overlap. The three former board members all represented the interest of a private equity firm, Toma Bravo, LP. Investment funds managed by Toma Bravo own 31% of SolarWinds. Seth Borough has been a director of SolarWinds and is a managing partner of Toma Bravo, according to SolarWinds' most recent annual proxy statement. Mr. Borough is also a director of Dynatrace Incorporated, according to security filings. James Lines and Michael Hoffman also work at Toma Bravo and have served on SolarWinds' board. SolarWinds is a network management company that says its competitors include Dynatrace. SolarWinds spokesperson declined to comment. The company confirmed in security filings Wednesday that Messers, Borough, Hoffman, and Lines had resigned from the SolarWinds board after receiving a letter from DOJ officials stating their service violated the antitrust laws. The section of federal law that bars, simultaneous, that bars simultaneous service on the boards of competing companies is known as incip- incipiency statute, which allows enforcers to challenge deals and practices that could lead to competitive harm. So, I haven't had solar winds in the news in a while. And I'm wondering if this is a way that DOJ has figured out to drain the corporate swamp 
I wonder if they figured out this, oh, like we got this little act over here that isn't usually enforced and we see a lot of violators. And so we're going to use this little act to go after these swampy companies and the, uh, the corporatist in America. And there was a line that really stood out to me right here from Assistant Attorney General Jonathan Cantor. He said the antitrust division is undertaking an extensive review of interlocking directorates across the entire economy and will enforce the law. So I don't think this is the last we're going to see of DOJ enforcing this Section 8 of the Clayton Act. I think this is just the first salvo. They made the announcement in February that they were going to start looking at this, and then this is the very first notices they've sent out. So I think this is really good stuff. And we may end up seeing a lot of companies that we know are engaged in major wrongdoing going down through violations of the Clayton Act. I'm definitely going to be watching. I'm going to be watching for this because I want to see, you know, a lawsuit, you know, like an indictment. If an indictment ends up coming out, like for criminality against solar winds or these people, we could learn some very, very interesting things. Okay. That's about it for the show today. But I saw something. Um, I saw something that caught my attention in chat. Now I'm not seeing it. I see uh, Johnny over on Foxhole. Hey, Johnny. Um, he says that he and Diddy covered Bravo. He tried to outbid Musk. Oh, interesting. Like outbid Musk in uh, on tw on Twitter? On the Twitter deal? Your link cut off there. Let me see... Uh, Oh, interesting. Toma Bravo considers Twitter bid. Oh, wow. And the sources say Toma Bravo could be a white knight for the company and CEO Parag Argawal. You know, so many people haven't figured out that Parag is not the bad guy. Like, it came out in the text messages recently. Like, Jack, Elon Musk, and Parag are all talking to one another about how to make Twitter better and what they want to do to change Twitter for, to make it what it should be. But they're, they can't do what they want to do because of the board. And so that's why Elon wants to buy it and take it private is so that he can make the changes to it that need to be made. And Parag and Jack are all on board with that. But people keep thinking that Elon, well, the, the mainstream narrative is that Elon's the bad guy who's going to make 
turn Twitter into gab or whatever. Um, so that's interesting. So this article is back from April and Toma Bravo was trying to swoop in and stop Musk. And then Musk was talking to Toma Bravo about possibly partnering with them. Dude, I wonder if, uh, Hmm. I wonder if, I wonder if Musk. I wonder if Musk was like, yeah, sure. Send me your offer. And then he just like pocketed that. Like just in case you guys offer something that is nefarious, I'm just going to go ahead and save these messages in case I need them. And then now you got these people leaving Toma Bravo. Hmm. Hmm, this Toma Bravo company. I wonder how legit they are. I wonder, wonder what other nefarious connections this company has besides solar winds. Johnny, which episode did y'all did y'all cover this? Because I missed it. Which um, which of your uh, was it your is it is it you and Diddy's most recent um, EQ chamber? Neomap Forge Rock. Orlando Bravo is one of the founders, and then Carl Toma. Seth Borrow, Orlando Bravo, Courtney Mitchell. I'm just scanning to see if there's any names that stick out to me as a... Uh, not on the up and up. Speaking of EQ chamber, it was, oh, okay. Johnny said it was months ago. Okay. Around the time the first news by, okay. Okay, cool. By the way, I will be on um, EQ chamber with Johnny and Diddy coming up. This week, let me go ahead and jump over that. I'm glad you're here because you reminded me to tell, tell everybody about this. I'll be on EQ Chamber. Let me, uh, I forgot I was on uh, my face. Y'all are just staring at my face and I'm over here clicking on links. So um, y'all missed it. I was looking at this link. Sorry. Musk and talks with Toma Bravo. And then I was looking at Toma Bravo here. Sorry, I forgot I changed screens. Um Oh, this is that company that has that badass building. I've seen pictures of this building before. Okay. So anyway, I will be, um, this Thursday evening, I'll be on EQ Chamber with Johnny and Diddy. 
and we'll talk about Danchenko trial and whatever else comes to mind. And uh, yeah, so if you're not a subscriber, this is a they do a good they do a great job. Um, just search EQ Chamber over on Rumble. Make sure you've switched up here. Make sure you switch the channels. When you're looking for channels, you got to make sure on Rumble that you switch this drop down menu to channels. A lot of people have had difficulty finding stuff, and it's because they it defaults to videos. Anyway, I'll be on with Diddy and Johnny this Thursday evening. And that reminds me also that I need to tell you I will not be on, I will not be doing a show on Friday because I'm going to a pumpkin patch with my three-year-old. So, sorry, but the uh, pumpkin patch is uh, going to win out. <laughs> I'm gonna and uh I'm gonna go ride some the rides I got there and play with my three-year-old and all that all that fall activity stuff. So that's my plan on Friday. No show on Friday. There will be a show on Wednesday though. Wednesday morning, 9:30. That's the next time I'll be back. Let me go ahead and find my exit music. It's about time for me to go. There we go. So I think I got, I think I got everybody's rants. Mooney's mom, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. Much appreciated. Yeah, you're well, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. So, all right, guys, thank y'all. Enjoyed the show. Sorry that I'm kind of rambling and digging around, but I just had a collection of things that I wanted to uh, cover and uh, catch up on. So. That's what they were. Those are some of the stories that have stood out to me while I've been consumed with the Danchenko trial. And uh, yeah. So y'all have a blessed Monday. Be positive. Remember that uh, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. And I'm feeling great. I know there's a lot of negative news out there. Not everything is perfect, but man, I just can't help but see all the swamp draining, draining that's going on. And I can't help, can't help but seeing the overall momentum and direction that we're headed in is where we want to be going. And looking ahead to November, I just see this red tsunami happening. I don't see the deep state getting very many wins. I don't see the Biden administration doing well. I don't see the Clinton cronies and her criminal network doing well. Um, there's some danger out there. And I expect we're going to lose some more battles, but we are going to win this war. Count the wins. So God bless each and every one of you. I'll be back Wednesday morning.